This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by Ben and Jerry's. Why are we having ice cream for lunch today? It's Why not, Joe? Why not? Every day is a good day for ice cream. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is not the first time Carson Chandler has leaned into a bowl of ice cream. There, there for lunch. is no meal that can't be improved with a little bit of ice cream. Ice cream is delicious. What's your what's your go-to Ben and Jerry's flavor? I'm a big supporter of fish food because I appreciate the stylings of one Trey Anastasio. But my my favorite ice cream is actually the everything but the, which is basically loaded with literally everything in the Ben and Jerry's manufacturing facility. On top, of the ice cream's delicious. Carson, what's your go-to? I'm gonna go with their mint chocolate chip. You cannot buy it in a pint in the grocery store. You can only get it in their retail locations. It is mm. the best mint chocolate chip on earth. I bet that has been. I bet that's been a lunch or two right there. Probably for the Carson yeah. Chandler family. I'm going with the my favorite is because I am one the chubby hubby. That is a delicious peanutty pretzely butter peanut buttery swirl of deliciousness. Well done. Pretzely. Pretzely. Like All right, let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm gonna have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk about corporate activism in the age of Trump and how Ben and Jerry's and Starbucks have boldly entered the fray. We'll talk about how Walmart has changed the scheduling conversation again, this time with a new app for their associates. And speaking of Walmart, our predictions from a few months ago have come true and Bernie Sanders has now set his sights on the company. We'll talk about those stories and then wrap it up with a legislative scorecard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Joe Kefauver, along with my line partners, Franklin Coley and Carson Chandler. And this week, no no Joe Rinzel. The, the bubble has burst in D.C. Mr. Rinzel is, is traveling this week, but we'll catch up with him next week. So, Franklin, there's a reason we're having Ben & Jerry's ice cream today. And it's really about more news. We're seeing it at Starbucks. We're seeing Ben & Jerry's. We've been talking about it for a while, but we're really seeing an uptick in corporate activism from brands that are just not only not shying away from what's going on in the debate, but actually just, just leaning right into it, leaning right into the curve. What, 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 have been, what's going on out there? So Ben and Jerry's social activism is kind of baked into their, their business model. And I, I think what was really, what really is astonishing about the Ben and Jerry's story is, you know, they were purchased, I think it was around, wasn't quite 10 years ago, maybe like eight years ago by Unilever. And, when that purchase happened, a lot of folks were watching and said, "Oh, Ben and Jerry's going corporate. You know, it's going to get it's going to get vanilla. They're going to take down the edge of Ben no and Jerry's." No pun intended on the vanilla. I like that. Yeah, it's well played. And but they didn't. If anything, they have upped it. And in fact, the reason we're talking about is a they recently released their pecan resist, um, which you know, like many other Ben and Jerry's flavors, is focused towards social activism. And and the write up on this one is. We can peacefully resist the Trump administration's regressive and discriminatory policies, blah, 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 goes on and on. So, you know, this is this is what Ben & Jerry's does. Now, is, is Starbucks near the scale of Ben & Jerry's? No. But Ben & Jerry's and the Starbucks and the others of the world, they're changing consumer expectations, I think, of brands. And certainly millennials have an expectation that brands are going to step forward on social issues. So even those brands that are still playing the old kind of corporate play it safe, don't engage in politics and social activism game, consumers' expectations of them are changing. And even that baseline is moving more towards 
the Ben and Jerry's and the Starbucks of the world and, and away from the traditional position, which was not to get involved in these issues. Do you, do you think do you think that, you know, and all consumers are different depending on what they're consuming, right? I mean, is that, that may be the case for retailers, you know, Walmart versus Target. There was a predilection that, you know, Target was a blue company and, and, and Walmart is a red company and, and so forth. Do you really see it in the restaurant world? Do you see do you, do you see a demand by restaurant consumers for restaurant companies to be engaged in this space? I, I think it depends on the company, but I think so. Yeah, I mean, you, you see Starbucks, um, you see uh, Danny Meyer, you see um, Jose Andres, you see, you know, there, there are different companies and, and individual CEOs that have baked this into their personal brand and then their restaurant's brand. And, you know, I think some retailers too. Now, it's not going to make sense for everybody. I don't think Advil or Tylenol is going to, they're going to have a more serious message, right? It's a different type of product. But for restaurants that are are selling food and drink and, 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 you know, some retailers, certainly some of this is going to make sense. Um, It's going to, and it's going to help with. Uh, building a closer relationship with their customers. I think some would argue, like, on the other side, Chick-fil-A kind of falls into this category in a different way. Obviously, you know, different That's a good point. Different issue sets. But it's something to watch for. I, I think this is less and less. Um, you got to really know who your customer that's is. Right. And you got to really know who you're targeting if you're going to go in that space. And obviously, we, you know, we talked about it with the Burger King and the um, – what was their the net neutrality thing they were doing? You know, this is another way of speaking to your customer through this kind of pseudo political lens. And so, while it appears risky in some places, it's really not that risky because you're just giving them another product they want to consume. Yeah, and right? when, when it, touching back to an earlier conversation we had post uh, Super Bowl last year, remember we right. talked about Airbnb ran the it was it was viewed as pro immigration ad, right? right. And then um, the eighty four lumber, right. right, ran ran a similar ad. So and that was right in the heat of Trump's focusing on the wall and, and other policies. So yeah, I mean it, it's a it's it could be a dangerous space. It could be a space with a lot of upside. I think more and more companies are, are really thinking about how to be better and smarter in this space. And um, I, I think they need to be focusing that attention to it. And I'm kind of wondering if, if with this new kind of, you know, blue resurgence after the midterm elections and the, the blue team, you know, have a little pep in their step for the first time in a long time, you know, will companies try to draft on that a little more? Will companies think that there's more of an appetite for that now than there was before. It's just, it's just interesting to watch. And, um, you know, I just came from a, a, a meeting in, in Bentonville, Arkansas, at, at Walmart all week, um, looking at a lot of their consumer insights and marketing and so forth. And, and it's, you know, it's, it, it's a struggle for every company as, as to how you, how do you navigate through and you know, either avoid the obvious or embrace the obvious. And it's this challenge for all, for all brands. So interesting. And we obviously keep tabs on it. Thanks. And switching gears, but on a related topic, Franklin, um, it looks like Howard Schultz, the former Starbucks CEO, is maybe getting serious about this presidential thing. What do you think? Yeah, there was a uh, couple reports over the past week or two. I mean, his name has been bad around for a long time, but usually by him, right? And he's got a book tour, and you know, he's kind of checking the boxes, doing all the things you would be. Yeah, but but one of the uh, one of the other box checks that occurred here recently is he is staffing up kind of a, a top notch PR team. Um, a lot of these folks, I think, are coming over from Edelman, which was the public affairs firm that 
uh, worked with Starbucks during his tenure, but notably owned that team that will be joining the Schultz team now, Steve Schmidt, who is a uh, top-notch uh, political operative. Managed John McCain's presidential campaign in 2008. He's been all over you know, MSNBC. He's made news as kind of, quote-unquote, leaving the Republican Party, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a vocal Anti- anti-Trumper, Trump, yeah. you know, the kind of establishment Republican. Kind of one of the defining things, I think, of his career is working with, you know, most notably John McCain, but kind of outsider candidates, right? And so Howard Schultz would be positioning himself as an, an outsider kind of maverick candidate, right? No nonsense, um, not part of the system. So that's the type of candidate he's traditionally been drawn to or worked with. How, how, how do you attack, let's let's say Howard Schultz actually does this, right? He, he really goes for it. How do how does his competitors, his, his opponents, attack him without attacking his company? He's so, he's so tied to the company and, and without attacking the company and the business model. How is it, is there a way, is there a path where Howard Schultz runs for president and the restaurant business model isn't a pinata in that whole process? No, yeah. absolutely not. I mean, we saw that with Andy Putzner. So with Herman Cain, that didn't occur because I think the one it was Republican primary and that those attacks wouldn't work as well as potentially a Democrat primary. And I guess we're jumping to a conclusion here that he would run in a Democrat primary. That's that's what I was going to ask you next. Is he a Democrat or is, is he an independent? So that business model and Starbucks business practices in a Democrat primary are going to face a different level of scrutiny than they would in a Republican primary. Herman Cain, though, also had been out of that position as a restaurant CEO for a while. I don't remember how long, but... Um, but nobody knew, you know... Nobody, nobody knew him as a restaurant CEO. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, what was it, Godfather Pizza? Yeah. And most of the country's never heard of Godfather Pizza, you know, right. so it, was, it wasn't as tied to it. But that's that's going to be a, a problem, I think, for, for a lot of folks, that, you know, he's either going to have to distance himself. He's either going to have to be a spokesperson and an advocate for the model or, or push the model under the bus. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think he'll be, a, I suspect he'll be a, so let me revise my earlier statement, but he will be a spokesperson and advocate for the model, but for his model of the model, right? So embodying progressive business practices within a restaurant business model, and he will push forward Starbucks, I suspect, under his tenure as kind of the gold standard. That will go unchallenged until he actually becomes a contender. So, so to revise my earlier statement, the restaurant business model and Howard Schultz claims that Starbucks is the greatest brand ever, and he oversaw that, will not be challenged until he gets within striking distance of the front runner, and then it will be destroyed. And listen, there are opposition research teams out there that will find ways right. to pick it apart, and and they will find former employees that had some bad experience, and we will we will all have to endure that that suffering and and, and witness that. But that won't only happen if he actually gets within striking distance of winning. Um, otherwise, I think he'll be a good voice for the restaurant industry out there. I mean, we've had other voices, Puzzler and and Herman Cain and, and others that have kind of represented the other side of the aisle, right? And so I think it's good to have a voice like his out there representing the restaurant industry. I think it is a net positive overall. I also don't think he's going to win. So I don't think he's going to I don't I don't think he's going to face that level of scrutiny and thus Starbucks will not face that level of scrutiny. But in our, I think in our current environment anything can happen though. No doubt, no doubt and you know Trump obviously did it. I think Trump's a little bit of an anomaly. He had been out there in these networks that he tapped for a long time talking about very, you know, 
emotionally charged issues, and I, I think it was a little bit different. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. All right, so speaking of, you know, business models being under siege and so forth, some more news this week that we predicted on this pod a couple of months ago. Uh, Mr. Sanders, Mr. Sanders from Vermont, uh, this week has decided to go after my alma mater, Walmart. Why is Walmart feeling the burn this week? I wish Mr. Renzel was with us and, and not traveling to a conference um, because he was not looking forward to giving you credit for having called this exactly some weeks ago. Yeah, so not surprisingly, the former mayor of Burlington, Vermont, the home of Ben and Jerry's, I might add, just just well, drawing drawing well some well drawing played. some arcs between all the conversations here, has gone off to Walmart just like he did Amazon, and you know I, I can't remember all the tenets of it. Essentially, he's saying like if you take corporate subsidies of any sort, he would frame it as corporate subsidies, but tax breaks or anything like that, then you have to be paying fifteen dollars an hour, and and a couple other pieces designed for kind of big companies. Oh, stock stock buyback. buybacks. Yeah, that's it, what it, was. it was prohibiting prohibiting companies from buying back their stock. And obviously the thought process there is if you have money to buy back your stock, then you have money to pay $15 an hour. It would block big employers from buying back stock unless they pay all employers 15 bucks an hour. And the CEO's compensation would be capped at no more than 150 times the median pay, uh, seven days of paid sick leave, all this stuff. Um, So it's all the issues that we track every day that have been bubbling up at the the state and local level, right? CEO pay, the the cap on buying back stocks a little little bit new, but paid leave, right? These are all standard things. They're baked into now the Stop Walmart Act. It's this is this is a really cool piece of legislation. Stop Walmart welfare for any large monopoly amassing revenue from taxpayers. Spelled out Walmart. That is kind of that's, I mean, that's that, impressive. That is a staff that had to spend some some hours trying Dude, to. That's, build. What, that's when you call in the New York Times crossword puzzle guy right there. There, there it is. There it is. So, but again, you know, here here is the 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 you know, Bernie has a new wind at his back. You know, the the progressives did well last week, and and Bernie is reemerging now as a power broker where he had kind of gone away, and you know, and I mean, again, Bernie never really goes away, but right. you know, so it's gonna be interesting to see what he does and what kind of noise he can make over the next, last couple of years or the, the next couple of years. Right? Me. Yeah, I mean, so. he's got a six, twelve month window to really get some wind in his in his sails if he wants to make a, a legit run. Or um, what will happen is someone else in the left will kind of take his mantle heading into twenty twenty. So we're, we're on Bernie. We're on Bernie watch time. It, it, listen. We're, you know, we're a week past, what, two weeks past, time to start 2020 talk, baby. Here we Speaking go. Speaking of 2020 talk, do you think Michelle Obama's going to run? I hope she does not. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she did. I think she should, I think she should go, if she wants to run, that's, you know, this American buddy, but she should go win an elected office. And I, I, I think some of these other folks that have never held an elected office should go do that as well. Should go win an elected office and then run. But then you got to run on a record. And that, that always, you know, if you don't have a record to run on, it's harder for the other side to pick you apart. That's 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 very true. That is very true. But then also you don't have the experience and you get what we have here now. So, <laughs> but nah. she's doing the book tour. She's out on the talk show circuit. She's, she's checking all those boxes too. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And listen, Schultz and, and Miss Obama are, are not alone. There are plenty of folks out there in circulation. Bloomberg would be another one that's, you know, one of these kind of outsider maverick candidates. Obviously, Oprah's name's tossed around as always. So we'll see how it shakes out. All right. Well, speaking of Walmart, I was out in Bentonville this week inside 
the heart of the beast. Franklin, have you ever seen the South Park where the kids go to Bentonville? No, I haven't, actually. If you have not seen the South Park where the kids go to Bentonville, it is amazing. And the graphics is a perfect rendition of the home office, and it pulsates the heart of the beast. Boom, boom. That's boom. funny. It's, 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 I would recommend any. I did. I did quit watching South Park when I was like 24. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> you know when you were 24. Nice. So this week, Walmart announced it is adopting a new scheduling system to help make employee schedules both more predictable and flexible. It's the My Walmart Schedule, an app uh, that, that employees will have on their on their cell phones. What's Walmart doing here, frankly? Well, I think the headline in HR Dive says it all. Walmart announces predictive scheduling for all stores. You know, so look, this is this is something that some employees want. They want to be able to schedule out in advance. You know, other employees may want to wait to the last minute because you know maybe they're younger and they 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 have school to balance and all kinds of other things. But those that have children, they want a more predictable, stable kind of schedule. Walmart is meeting a cus- uh, excuse me an employee need here, but more importantly, I think for our purposes here in this podcast. Walmart is getting way ahead of this predictive or restrictive. And they have been way ahead for scheduling trend line. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a number of cities and states. The first state in the country, Oregon passed predictive scheduling legislation, if everyone will remember, this past year. And we have indications that probably the state of Washington, maybe the state of Illinois, state of New York, others. New York has actually convened a board on it, but they haven't issued the final regs for retail yet. So we've got statewide mandates coming down probably in the next year or two in a number of states, which basically is going to have to force everyone to create a, a national standard. I mean, and, and, and we've, we've talked for, for years about this issue, and this issue just particularly rankles me because we could have gotten out ahead of this thing so many years ago. We wouldn't even remember this issue right now. But we, the intransigence of the in- industry with regard to this this issue, it just bothers me. And now we're even more isolated. All the things we say we can't do, Walmart's saying you can do, and you can empower your employees to do it. And it, th- th- this this hurts our arguments even yeah. more right now. If I'm a city council person in in, in Philadelphia, I'm going to go. Why can't you do this? Why? Yeah. Why because you sell a burger and Walmart sells a widget? Why? Did, why? That, why, why can't you schedule like Walmart does? Well, it makes it harder for us. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I would say in defense of particularly the franchisees, um, the tech is just now catching up with this desire and want. And Walmart obviously has a lot of resource to develop an app, which essentially this app creates a marketplace for swapping shifts, right? And I think some of the franchisees would say, look, you know, we've you know, they're still doing paper schedules on the wall, right? You know, you come come check the wall in the break room, see what shifts you have for the next two weeks, right? And that, you know, that gets posted, you know, three days before whatever, you know, the Friday before the next week, right? So that tech is going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And I know that there are scheduling software companies out there. Um, you know, Hot Schedules is one that we've... Um, talked with in the past in this issue and we have some clients that work with them they're working to do similar programs and, and, and set up similar systems to what walmart is doing so we are all going to get there it's a question of are we going to get there 
are we going to have a lot of reputational harm and damage and spend a lot of political capital fighting these issues yes. before we're forced to get there? Yes. Or are we going to get there ahead of this and then no. take the issue off the table? So no. every, I, I think everyone that's smart is is heading in this direction. I, I know that a lot of our folks are because we've been talking with them. Yeah. I mean, um, we've had every opportunity to drive on this issue, and yet we just we stand in the crosswalk and just get pummeled on this thing because we, we wouldn't take a couple little steps three or four years ago. Nobody would be talking about this issue now. But. Yeah. Walmart is, as usual, kind of leading the way. If you're an operator and you're looking at this, get online, give give a Google, and, and check out kind of the functionality of what they're doing because I think it's something that you can go back to your providers, your scheduling software providers, whether they're in-house or, or external, and work with them to capture some of that same functionality. It's time for the Legislative Scorecard, where we go around the country and update you on the key legislative and regulatory developments that happened this week. And as always, we start with wages, Franklin. Yeah, not a lot going on this week as we uh, approach the holiday season, but a couple of little developments here. Um, first, go to New Jersey. The Assembly Speaker this week declared his support for a $15 an hour minimum wage. Not terribly surprising, but we now have the Assembly Speaker, the Governor, kind of out front saying that we're going to have a $15 an hour minimum wage in New Jersey. So I think we can expect that's going to happen at some point in the future. Um, the big kind of hanging question is, will there be you know youth training wage exemptions? What does a tip credit look like, et cetera? So stay tuned in January. That is probably going to be one of the early items under discussion in New Jersey. Moving over to St. Paul, Minnesota, shouldn't be a surprise. We've been talking about St. Paul forever, but they finally approved their $15 an hour requirement there. The one thing that was still kind of outstanding in that conversation was how would they treat franchisees? They have decided under the law to treat franchisees as standalone individual businesses rather than sweeping them up in the whole franchise system. So if you have a franchise location, you will be judged in the size of that business, i.e. how many employees you employ. And so that's a phase in and it will start going into effect in 2020. There is no tip credit and um, there is an exemption for young workers as long for youth as long as they're participating in a city approved training program. And let's pivot over to paid leave, Franklin. What happened this week? One development in the paid leave conversation that's worth noting, you know, we keep taking note and talking about when a, when a new employer rolls out a new benefit program because the labor market is so competitive. And this week, Etsy, the homemade goods online marketplace rolled out a new program that's it's really interesting. So they offer 26 weeks of gender-neutral paid parental leave. And what they're offering now is employees can trade in that leave up to 14 weeks for a cash payment. So essentially, this would be like kind of an annual bonus. So employees have the option of uh, one or the other at the end of the year. And so, you know, it's just a different take on a benefit yet again. We kind of bring these things up because it sets the marketplace and, and it's of note as employers compete to try to get that top talent. And some big news on the scheduling front. Yeah, I mean, again, after lots of discussion, feels like forever, you know, Philadelphia, which has been considering a restricting restrictive scheduling mandate, is now finally going to um, really take up the issue, looks like probably at the November 26th city council meeting. And so 
There's been a lot of kind of back and forth conversations in this issue with the Philly City Council over the, the previous months. It looks like they're finally pushing towards the finish line. Employers that are interested in engaging in that conversation, now's the, the time to kind of make your closing arguments. And lastly, Franklin, and what happened in the labor space this week? A few notable developments. Number one, the Equal uh, Employment Opportunities Commission, the EEOC, announced this week that it had a banner year. And it's not really incredibly surprising given how the Me Too movement has come on the scene. In fact, the EEOC reports that they fielded a, a more than 30% increase in complaints filed over the past year. I suspect that trend is going to continue. And that resulted in uh, the EOC forcing employers to pay out over $505 million to 70,000 workers. So that's, that's a pretty notable kind of trend line in the, in the regulatory compliance front. Um, also related item, I think we may talk about this more in the coming weeks, but you know, Google and Facebook announced that they are going to remove the requirement that employees go into arbitration over sexual harassment claims. This is in response to a lot of public scrutiny of uh, the tech community, and in particular Facebook, um, regarding allegations of sexual harassment. This obviously follows in line with a number of states' last legislative session passing legislation that barred arbitration agreements related to sexual harassment. There's three pending cases in front of the Supreme Court on this issue. So this is a big issue. This is a big conversation that's going to continue. And Google and Facebook have made the determination, the decision that they're going to no longer do this. I suspect other employers are going to do the same. Finally, H&R Block has been hit in Illinois federal court with a class action suit related to no poach and non-compete agreements. These are both for non-compete agreements for employees and no poach agreements between the franchisor and the franchisees. Both are tied up in this suit. What this shows me is that a conversation that kind of began in the restaurant industry, right, is now migrating over to other industries. It also shows that this, this conversation isn't ending anytime soon. So uh, that is it this week. And down the stretch they come! Okay, it's time for our Paul Revere segment, where we look down the road a bit and see what's potentially coming around the corner for operators. And as always, Carson Chandler joins us. What did you see this week, Carson? Joe, there's a lot of stories in the, in the news right now about the shortage for seasonal labor. You know, there's 20 or 30 even this week, but there's one that, in particular, it's really worth the attention of operators. Um, and the piece goes into all the ways that, 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 that companies, particularly restaurants and retail, are trying to snag workers. You know, Wendy's giving $1,000 bonuses for seasonal workers, retailers giving discounts, brands offering $12 or $13 an hour this season where they were offering $9 last year, and then even some kind of funny, creative ones. Clyde's Restaurant basically offering, you know, all-you-can-eat oysters to uh, to some of its employees. But um, there's a couple of big takeaways. Wow, did you pick up a couple shifts there? Yeah, Absolutely. I've been mean, wondering where you've been. So. <laughs> um, the, the, the couple of the big takeaways, right, that, that hourly employers are on track to hire the most workers ever for the holidays in the U.S., the most workers ever. Um, and, and the second kind of part of the piece looks at how we got to this point. Um, and, and they describe it as kind of a perfect storm. The unemployment rate at a 48-year low, the sharing economy, Uber and Lyft drivers kind of siphoning off a part of the market that probably would have been there in years past. And then Amazon, you know, their fulfillment center spreading to cities across the, across the country, siphoning off another part, 
and restaurants kind of left with the rest of that labor pool, and it's shrinking and it's small, and they're kind of in panic mode. And, and it's it's implying that now and increasingly going forward, that that, that restaurants are going to kind of get the dregs. Right. Is that what it's right. saying? Yeah, and that, that's kind of the, the the leads us to the Paul Revere element of this Bloomberg story, is that this massive fight for holiday labor in 2018 is basically a preview of the next five years or more for restaurant and retail. That's the piece. That's the big takeaway. That that has some major major connotations that that is uh, that's troubling absolutely i mean you, you know you got you got these two sides these two magnets that are pulling people out of that normally that would have been kind of seasonal labor pool that might have been part-time they worked for a month um and so it's, it's really really worth worth the time and attention for operators to, to read the piece here come the robots robot time carson stay 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 close to this subject because um that has as i would say major implications for folks and they're already struggling with training they're already struggling to to you know these consumer facing businesses like restaurants to have the right kind of folks interfa- interfacing with customers and the trend lines don't look good if, that, if this is correct right. carson yeah. one other question um I noticed you're wearing a flannel shirt this week, a checkered flannel shirt. Are you are you going wood chopping this weekend? I'm going to chop some wood. I'm harvesting, harvesting his Christmas tree. That's right. It is a brisk 64 degrees in Orlando, and so I have a, a window of opportunity from somewhere between three and five days to, to really get my fall on, and, and I am leaning into it right now. Look like you're trying out for a part in Fargo or something. I will be a L.L. Bean catalog model. It's, it's 72 <laughs> degrees in this office, and Carson has three layers on right now. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> I thought you were Paul Revere, but you're actually Paul Bunyan today. There we go. See you all next week.